should be the favorite song on the lips of all believers. I have been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Are y'all glad to be here? Huh? I mean, we're in church. What better place could you be on a Sunday morning than to be in the house of the Lord? Amen? Amen. To be in church. Because let me tell you why. Because as we gather together in this place, we ought to gather in this place for a reason. Number one, it's to glorify the Father. Number two, it's to encourage each other. To encourage each other in this life that we live. As a matter of fact, it's what we call a partnership. You know, partnerships are good things. And let me say this to you this morning as well. You know, you can get more accomplished most of the time. I will say 99% of the time, you can get more accomplished with numbers than you can as just sole individuals. Now, I'll give this to you. There are some times when too many hands in the pot and just is too much, okay? Sometimes there's only one that's necessary and needed, but it never hurts to have somebody there with or for moral support, is there? To encourage your own, okay? Same way when it comes to church, it's, it's a partnership. It's, 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 it's about who we are. It's about what it's about. I, I don't know, matter of fact, yesterday, while I was out and about and Yes, I was out in the 95-degree heat at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and I was outside, and I was doing some cutting around some of the pond. And I was out there, and I just I sat down in the shade, and I kind of laid back in the shade and just looked up into the sky and to the clouds. Any of y'all ever done that? Okay, just lay back and look up, okay? And as I laid back and looked up, the thing that came across my mind was how big the kingdom of God must be. And for someone like me just to be a small part of that kingdom, do you realize that every one of us who are born-again believers, we're part of that kingdom? And I'm going to tell you something. There, 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 there is greatness that can be accomplished for the kingdom in a partnership when we understand and realize that, hey, we're all in this thing together. I mean, it's a part of who we are. And I think sometimes we take Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25, we take it kind of out of context sometime. And I want you to take and turn with me there because there's some things that I want to start with there. And then we're going to make our way to the book of Philippians no one knew this morning that I was going to be preaching. Primarily, the entire message will be out of all four chapters of the book of Philippians. But it will be this morning. But I, I, I want to start with this. There's strength in numbers. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 21 through verse 25. I want you to notice... As the writer of Hebrews shares with us, let's just start in verse 19. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. 
Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you have a full assurance of your faith? Is it a, is it a full assurance of your faith? Do you have that? Or, or, or is your faith a hope so? I hope I have it. I hope that when that day comes that, that I will have what is necessary. The writer of Hebrews says, no, 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 no. I have this full assurance of my faith. And I will say this this morning, I do. And my faith and my salvation is based on a promise of the word of God, not a feeling but based on the promise of the word of God. So with the absolute fullness of assurance. And then he goes on to say, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without what? Without wavering. Why? There's no need for you to waver. You don't have to waver. Why don't you have to waver? Because you can rest totally in the faithfulness of God and His promise. You don't have to worry about it. God is already taking care of it. God's already sealed it. And matter of fact, He proved it when He saved you by sending the Holy Spirit to take up residence inside of you. It is the earnest of our inheritance that God the Father gave to us. So that when we read Romans chapter 8... We clearly understand why it says that my spirit bears witness with his spirit that I know that I belong to him because it's the Holy Spirit. And that if, if, that's, if that's not enough, we have the word of God from Genesis to the book of the Revelation. We have the whole complete account, every bit of it. We know everything from the past we can deal with everything in the present. And oh, by the way, we know everything that's coming in the future. Understanding and realizing that this is not our final, this is not where we are going to spend all of eternity in what is made up in us and for us in these temporal bodies today, but something far greater that God has for us. But then we come to verse 24. And he said, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. In other words, to come alongside of each other, to encourage each other, to stimulate each other to, to the things that we ought to do as believers, as a, as a child of God. And then we come to verse 25. And then here's what he says. Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some. But here's the reason. But encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I'm going to tell you something. I look forward to times that we gather together here. Let me tell you why, because it's encouraging. As we gather together as other, with other believers, as we study the Word of God together, as, as we look at the faithfulness and the promises of God, and we hear it shared over and over and over again those things that God has done for us and with us and through us and all of those things that God allows us to be a part of and to have a part of it ought to be something that we encourage each other especially as we see the day approaching and what day is that his return understanding and realizing it's not going to be long I don't think until we see Jesus Christ return I said the other day, I, I just don't 
I don't know how worse it can get until you, you see something else on the news and it's just like, I can't believe this. I mean, I thought we had just about reached the pinnacle and then all of a sudden they throw something else in there and I'm like, I, I, I honestly, I honestly cannot believe it. But it's happening all around us. As we see all of these things that are, that are taking place, but it, it, here's what I hope to do today is to encourage you to understand this, that we're in a partnership together here. It's not a us against us. It's not a us against it. It's a partnership of believers that make up the church. And this local assembly here, when we gather together here in this place, it's a partnership. And we need to understand that. The letter to the church at Philippi is an interesting letter. And if you'll flip over there, that's where we're going to spend all the rest of our time this morning is in the book of Philippians. You know, I, I think sometimes when we read these and understand that the book of Philippians is a letter that was written by Paul to the church at Philippi. As Paul shares his heart with the church at Philippi. And one of the things that I, I think maybe we lose sight of and maybe possibly you don't understand or, or realize this, but the letter to the church at Philippi is one of Paul's prison letters. Matter of fact, it was written while he was in prison. In prison for what? I mean, what was he in prison for? Well, let me just share with you what he was in prison for. He was in prison for preaching Jesus Christ as the true king versus Caesar. That's what he was preaching. If you look at chapter 1 of Philippians and look at verse 13 through verse 14, I want you to notice as, as Paul relates this in his letter. He said, So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment and I want you to look at the end of verse 14 have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear why why is that I mean here's here, here's the one that had been carrying the gospel throughout all of the regions and now he's in prison writing this letter to the church at Philippi from prison but we find that all of those that are there that are recipients of the letter what does it do to them? It strengthens them. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever considered that or thought about that? I, I think sometimes our Christianity is fine for us as long as it doesn't cost us anything. As long as things are good, as long as things are where we think they ought to be, Christianity's fine. But now all of a sudden when things begin to change and now all of a sudden... The stand that I take for Jesus Christ is no longer popular, is no longer the place to be, is no longer the position to be in, whether it's at work, whether it's in our neighborhood, whether it's in school, doesn't make any difference. Now all of a sudden, when I find myself standing alone sometimes, now all of a sudden what happens with my faith? What happens with my Christianity? 
What happens with the gospel? Do we become very quiet? Do all of a sudden now it doesn't really matter to take that stand that I ought to take? Is it okay to shut down and just not to say anything? Let me tell you what happened with these in Philippi. Paul's in prison and guess what happened? They have far more courage now to speak the word of God without fear. Look over at verse 21 of chapter 1. I think is the answer. And I think this is, this, this, is, this is what brought it about in Paul's life. Because it says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is what? Is gain. Now, I don't know about you. Now, I want you to understand something right now, right, right off the bat. Let me, let me make sure I preference this, okay? I'm not looking to get on the bus today. But I will say this. There is much greater ahead for me than what is taking place today. Amen. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to what's ahead. Living in the day that I live in. Matter of fact, here's what the Apostle Paul said. You know, he said, I have this great desire to be with Christ, but I also understand that there's something in a task to take place today. Every one of us that's still here, it's called a partnership. It's a partnership in the gospel. It's a coming together in the local church and the church of God to encourage each other as we see difficult days ahead of us. To encourage us what? To keep on, to press on until that day comes. That's what we need to do. People say this all the time. Seems to me like we're not making very much progress. Could you imagine what would happen if all of a sudden the church of God began to come together unlike it's ever come together before? Understanding and realizing our partnership and encouraging one another and taking a stand and being vocal where we are. You think we'd make a difference? <laughs> Say it again. <laughs> Why could Paul write a letter from prison understanding and realizing that the king was Jesus Christ, not Caesar, and that the life that Paul was, it was a part of who he was, was understanding that that living in this life temporal, okay? Understanding that, that I'm living for Jesus Christ and then to die would be gain. Does that we, is, is that the way we look at life every day? Let me tell you something, it's what it ought to be. Here's the way Paul saw the church at Philippi. He saw the church at Philippi and himself they were partners, they were sharers together in God's grace through Jesus Christ. Look at verse 7 of chapter 1. Notice what, he, notice what Paul writes in his letter. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all. 
because I have you in my heart since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. Let me tell you what, he saw them as a partner with himself in the ministry. That's what we need. That's what we need today. More than anything else, all this splinteredness, all of this, all of this that is taking place today. Matter of fact, I thought, you know, if we spent more energy, if we spent the amount of energy that we are in the divisiveness today, in the unity of the church today as it should be, could you imagine what we could accomplish for Jesus Christ? And somebody says, that'll never happen. You'll never see that. Why? Why can't we see that? Can we see it here? Can we see it in Ascension Baptist Church? Would to God, I hope we can. It ought to be. Shouldn't be any other way. When we understand the magnitude of what we've been called to, Paul also reminds the Philippians this. He, he reminds the believers in Philippi of the gospel that was preached to them. Look at chapter 3. Look at verse 7 through verse number 9. Chapter 3. I said we would be in all of it, okay? Chapter 3, I want you to notice this is the gospel that was preached to you. Verse 7 through verse 9. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And let me tell you something. Did Paul have a lot he could see as gain? Sure he did. Y'all look at his resume. Matter of fact, Paul even made this statement. If anybody had the ability to be able to boast over his temporal earthly accomplishments, it was Paul. He said, but all of those things that were gained to me, he said, those I've counted as loss. For what? For the sake of Christ. Verse 8, more than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. And look at verse number 9. And may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. That's the gospel. He said, that's where mine comes from. That's where I draw mine from. Where did Paul draw his strength from? He drew, listen, Paul's strength came from Christ. In understanding and realizing the urgency of the hour and understanding the urgency of the need, I want to ask you a simple question this morning. How many of you in here today understand the urgency of the hour that we live in today? And I know we have heard this over and over and over and over and over again. And I think sometimes, unfortunately, we come to the place where we become numb with all of it. It just really, is, it just really doesn't have an impact on us that it once did. But do you understand and realize that if a person dies today without Jesus Christ, do you understand where they will wake up? It will not be in the presence of God, I will tell you that. And matter of fact, they'll be in a place 
of eternal separation from God himself. A place of utter darkness of and, and sometimes I think about this and, and sometimes it just it weighs heavy on my heart because I think about people today who struggle in the darkness of the world that we live in today and have rejected Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And I think to myself, when they die from this temporal life that we live in and they open their eyes on the other side, God help us where they will be. I ask you a question, does it affect us anymore? Does it affect the church? Well, if it does, then it ought to drive us to action. We ought to understand and realize that it's a partnership that we live in. That's the way, that's the way Paul saw the church at Philippi. And let me say this. And standing up for this gospel comes with a cost. Look at verse 29 of chapter 1. Go back to chapter 1 and look at verse 29. Comes at a cost. Let me ask you a question. Did it cost Paul? <laughs> did it cost him? Sure it did. It cost him. He was shipwrecked. Beaten 39 times, save one. Just about stoned to death. All of, all of these things Paul suffered for one reason and one reason only. Did he have to? No. If he'd have remained where he was, he had everything ahead of him because and based upon his own resume. As far as temporal things were concerned. As Paul met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, it completely changed his life. And as Paul began the new ministry that God had set aside for him in the gospel of Jesus Christ, let me tell you something. It was costly for him. The church today knows nothing about cost when it comes to the gospel. We know nothing today about the cost of persecution. Oh, we get ridiculed a little bit here and there I mean I, I can remember when I was still working in corporate America I remember they used to, I used to come down the hallway I used to whistle coming down the hallway people used to ask me why are you so happy for you're coming to work praise the Lord I had a job praise the Lord I enjoyed what I was doing I was thankful for it but see it was all those times when we were in the break rooms in the corners and they were in there joking and all this. And I could hear them coming from when I was coming down the hallway. And as soon as I'd turn the corner and walk inside of one of those rooms, I always got the standard old, here comes the preacher. Oh, it's the deacon. Deacon Robert. That's what they used to call me. They thought it was a joke. I had a guy that works for me. <clears throat> And he and I had had many opportunities to have a conversation. And pretty much what he told me, he said, I have no use for your God or anything else. But I'll say this to you. It wasn't long tragedy came to his life. I come to work one morning, the time that I always did, and guess who was there before I was? He was. He was sitting outside of my office. He said, I need to talk to you. See, tragedy hit. He didn't know where to go. 
didn't know where to turn. Folks, I will tell you, I, I had a conversation just this past week with, with two different individuals who, 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 are, who are panicking. They're absolutely scared to death. Especially in light of the shooting that took place and all of these things that's going on and all this stuff that's going on just inside of our own communities here. And they said, what's the world coming to? I can tell you what it's coming to. And I can say this this morning. You haven't seen anything yet. It's just the tip of the iceberg. But I can tell you what the answer is. And I can tell you what is needed across all of our communities around the world today, throughout the countries, in the United States of America. Doesn't make any difference where it is. I can tell you what is needed today, and that is Jesus Christ. And the only thing that is going to change, listen, you're, you're not going to legislate morality. You are not going to force people. The only thing that will work is a changed heart, and that comes through Jesus Christ. That's the only thing. So if that's the only answer, and we have the answer, then why don't we take more time and spend more time sharing that answer? But it comes with a cost. I don't think I ever got there. Verse 29 and verse 30. In Philippians chapter 1. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to do what? To suffer for his sake. You know, there's a, there's a verse of scripture that, that we like to use. That we're going to be heirs. We're, we're, as a believer, we're heirs, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And that's where we end it. But do you know that verse has more in it? Here's what it says. If we also suffer with him. Is the gospel costly? Sure it is. You say, costly? Yeah, it's costly. God the Father sent his own. Do you understand that God took on flesh? Because of his love and his grace. So that you and I don't have to experience a final death. So, Brother Robert, what is what is the gist of all of this? Well, here it is. We need to remain strong as brothers and sisters in the gospel even in the face of hostility and persecution. That's where we need to be. But here's something else I think we need to be reminded. We need to be reminded that the president is not our king. And the United States is not our citizenship. Oh, wait a minute before you go there. We'll say, well, Brother Robert, bless God, I am a citizen of the United States. So am I but I'm also a citizen of a far better place. You say, where is that at? Well, turn to Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, and I will show you. And let me just say this this morning. Our king is Jesus Christ, and our real citizenship is in heaven. Chapter 3 and verse 20. Notice what Paul says. 
For our citizenship is where? It's in heaven. From which also we eagerly wait for a Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ. Are you eagerly waiting for him? I am. So I was laying out underneath that shade of that big oak tree, looking up towards the sky. I said, you know, he could come today. He could come today. But you know what my concern is if he'd have came yesterday afternoon? Would have been those who would have missed him. Let me ask you a question. Does that does that does that bother does it affect you? So what does it mean that our citizenship is in heaven? Are you ready for this? Then we ought to live in a manner worthy of that citizenship. If your citizenship is in heaven today, do we live like it? Do we serve like it? So, it's a partnership. For a partnership to be the most and be the best that it can be, we all have to be active partners in the partnership active partners in the kingdom I know let me share this because this is coming from my heart not just a spectator not just a spectator we don't need a kingdom full of spectators we need a kingdom full of active partners that are doing what? That are busy about what we've been called to do. So if you're not an active partner, I'm going to ask you to do something today. <laughs> yep, always comes down to this. And you know whether or not you're an active partner or not today. So if you're not an active partner, then I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to join the task that God's called us to do as an active partner in the gospel. And I'll finish with this. We can accomplish more together than we ever can apart. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I look forward to being with all of y'all. Every last one of y'all doesn't matter who you are just to be together because I see it this way there's a day coming as believers uh, we're all going to be together anyway so why not let's just give it all we've got for what we've been called to here Amen. The gospel. Paul said this in chapter 4 and verse 1 as I close. Therefore, 
my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown. In this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. In all of chapter 4 is Paul's encouraging them just to stay with the task. Just stay in the race. Run it with everything you've got. Because at the end, there is a crown of righteousness laid up for me, Paul speaking, but not for me only, but also for all of those who love his appearing. Folks, listen, we got a job to do. We got a task to do. It's time we get involved as partners in the gospel together in the church. Amen.